Welcome to Publishing Gravel, the podcast that breaks the rules and helps you kickstart your career as a successful nonfiction author and entrepreneur. I'm your host, Melina Benson. Most content fail, yet you should create as much content as you possibly can. In this episode, I talk to Jay Bear about the free shows you need to put on your content production plan. Jay Bear is one of America's top marketing and online customer service consultants. He is probably also one of the most productive. He is a sought-after speaker, host of the popular social pros podcast, the Talk Triggers video show, the Talk Triggers podcast, and the Standing Ovation podcast. He is also the author of Hawk Your Haters, Talk Triggers, Utility, and Free Other Books. His firm, Convince and Convert, works with leading brands worldwide to help them gain more customers and keep the customers they have already earned. There's a million topics that we could discuss due to Jay's vast experience, and we do cover a lot in this episode about why most content fail and what to do about it. Bring out your notepad, friends, and stay until the end where Jay shares also his view on the impact of the COVID-19 on the digital marketing space. Here we go. Hey there. Hello. Jay, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so pleased that you are here. I was listening to your podcast, Standing Ovation, the story of professional speaker story, something like that. Yes. So you're a professional speaker. So what's the story of your story, Jay? Well, it's interesting. And thank you for listening to Standing Ovation. In that show, in each episode, I interview a professional speaker and we focus on their signature story, the story that they tell on stage almost every time. And I, because I tend to talk about more topics than most speakers, uh, I, I have lots of different talk, talks that aren't necessarily as narrow as other folks. I, I don't know that I have a signature story in the same way. However, I guess the one that I probably talk about the most is, is when I went to uh, the World Series uh, in 2001, and I ended up getting arrested during the World Series uh, and, and it's a, an interesting story about um, about customer service and customer expectations and trust. And uh, so I, I, I've told that story a lot of times on stage, but it's a fairly long story, so I don't tell it always. And it's also a fairly sad story. It, it involves my uh, brother-in-law who who uh, subsequently passed away from brain cancer. And so there's some there's some ups and downs in that story. So I don't tell it every time. It's kind of got to be the right. Um, uh, the right circumstance, but it's funny. Um, well, I, it, it took me, it took me years, literally years to be able to talk about myself and my own experiences on stage, um, years. And I just never really felt like it was interesting or, or, or what had happened to me or what I had done was worth the audience's time and attention. So I, I always focused on telling stories of other businesses and other people. And gradually I've started to tell stories more about myself, but I'm still not great at it. I'm still, I still have, I think a little bit of a hang up about it. And I'm working with my coach and some other advisors on, uh, on breaking down those, those barriers. Um, many people who are professional speakers 
uh, our speakers. And, and then they develop related businesses on top of that. I was a consultant and, and a, I'm mostly a consultant and, and, and other types of businesses for 20 years before I ever gave a single speech. So for me, the speaking part is sort of the end of the train, not the, not the engine of the train. And so I kind of come at the business a little differently than some other people. For example, I didn't give a single paid presentation until I was 40 years old, which is much, much, much later in my career than most people who are professional speakers. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, the reason why you don't have like one single signature story mm -hmm. is because you cover so many uh, yeah. topics or so many yeah. areas. How yeah. do you get away with that? <laughs> uh, good question. I'm not certain that I do. Uh, but, I'm pretty sure you, you know, do. <laughs> it's, it, in the speaking business, you typically stay in your lane, to use the colloquialism. You are a sales speaker or you are a marketing speaker or you're a customer service speaker or a leadership speaker or a motivational speaker, or a diversity speaker, et cetera, right? And that's kind of what you do. Well, because I am a consultant first, and, and my job is to solve business people's problems, and whether that's on the page, in books, or on stage, whether in speaking, or, or in a strategic deliverable, I, I think of it as in the same way. I tend to uh, speak about the things that I think my clients need to know right now. And, and so that tends to change. So I've got, you know, one, one book and one set of speeches, which is about social media and one book and one set of speeches that's about content marketing and one that's about customer service and one that's about customer experience. And, and while, you know, it's not so unrelated that I'm going to go do a, uh, you know, a diversity speech that, that doesn't really make any sense. That's not what I do. Um, in comparison to most people, I do cover a lot a lot of broader topics, but I can get away with it, I guess, because I don't, I don't do any presentations or write any books unless those are questions that actual clients have actually asked me. Yeah. You know, so, so that's how people ask me, well, how, how do you know when to write another book or what, when to write a new speech? Same answer every time. It's when I see a client or our clients at my company, when enough clients asked me the same question over and over, I'm like, well, if these guys don't know the answer, And we work with many of the biggest companies in the whole world as clients, right? Our clients are giant global corporations. And if they don't know the answer, nobody knows the answer. And like, okay, I should probably write about that or, or do a presentation about that. Yeah. I understand it's quite research heavy as well. Oftentimes, yeah. I, I, I feel a little bit allergic to the idea that, well, Jay says you should do this. Therefore, you should do it. Uh, and 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 a lot of a lot of speaking is rooted in that. It's just sort of like here's my experience and my opinion, and that doesn't make it invalid. It's just like people want a little more to it. So most of the most of the projects that I'm involved in, uh, books, speaking, etc., are are driven not only by our own experiences with our clients, but with actual first party research. So in my book, Talk Triggers, it tons of research on that my book, Hug Your Haters, the same way, like national academic level survey research to, to determine uh, the, the, the efficacy of the advice. Because ultimately, I don't want to write a book or give a bunch of speeches about something that I don't know to be true. Like, what's that's not fair to anybody. So we want to make sure it's validated uh, before I take it on the road. Okay. 
So I want to uh, uh, slowly kind of uh, lean into the topic of content marketing and books is one way of doing content marketing, as you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. I know you do podcasting. You have your uh, talk trigger show that's on YouTube, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, it's also a podcast, so it's both a it's both is a that show is video first, the talk trigger show, but it's also available as an audio podcast. Okay, uh, and blogging as well. Yes, of course. Yeah, our our blog at convincingconvert.com has more than three thousand posts, many of them written by me. I don't write as much as I used to because I do so much podcasting and and video now. I used to write. Uh, five blog posts a week, every week, just myself. Uh, I don't anymore. Uh, I write occasionally, but we still publish quite frequently. It's just most of the posts aren't written by me. Yeah. Okay. So it would be fair to say that you're quite experienced in content creation. (laughs) And what I heard you say was that most content fails. Yes. Well, most content fails unless it's somebody's favorite version of that content. It's not specific enough. So here's the the fallacy of content marketing. People think, well, I need to have a bigger audience. So what I'm going to do is create content that appeals to more people. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Except it doesn't actually work. Because when you do that, the content you create will not be, cannot be, it is impossible for it to be hyper relevant for anybody. It's pretty good for a lot of people, but it's not great for anybody because you're trying to sort of bowl it down the middle, thread the needle, whatever metaphor you want to use uh, to make it non-objectionable and at least modestly useful for the maximum number of people. You are much better off in most cases having an audience that is smaller, but more passionate. And, And that works when the content you create is more specific to a particular audience and their unique needs and, and, and circumstances. So instead of having a blog about social media, uh, have a blog about B2B social media. Instead of having a blog about B2B social media, have a blog about B2B social media for healthcare companies that focuses on Instagram. You can be the best at that thing in the whole world. And whoever reads that blog, you are their favorite blog ever. Right. And and so you, you want to make it more specific, not more general. Now, problem is people think that the audience is the number. If you're selling ads or you're monetizing your content in some other way based solely on content consumption, well, then, yeah, you want more content consumers. But most people are not. Most people are not compensated for content based on audience. They're compensated for content based on behavior. And if you're trying to incentivize behavior, as you probably are, then a narrower, more passionate audience will almost always outperform a larger, less passionate audience. You recommended three types of scalable Mm -hmm. social content that gets results. Yeah, I mean, if you think of social media as as one form of content marketing, and I think most people look at it that way now, the biggest problem in social right now is, A, as we mentioned, trying to be too broad. But the other side of that same coin is random acts of social. I see it all the time. People are just sort of creating something in social every once in a while because... 
I don't know. I guess they're they're inspired by something and they feel like today's the day, you know, we're going to make a thing or whatever. And, you know, imagine if other forms of media, right. And social media is media. It says it right in the name. It is social media. Imagine if other forms of media operated like that, right. Now I still read a daily newspaper because I'm old, but imagine if the newspaper worked the same way as most people's social media publishing calendar, like the New York times is like, eh, I'm not really feeling it today, so we're just not going to have one, right? But then on Thursday, they saw this meme, right? The challenge accepted meme, right? And so the New York Times is like, yeah, I love that meme. I got to post about that. And then they publish a newspaper only on that Thursday, right? It would be chaos. Like, you can't live like that. Imagine you try and turn on ESPN. ESPN doesn't work today because they weren't inspired enough to create television programming. If you're going to be in the media business and social media is the media business, that is based on perspiration, not inspiration. So you have to be consistent with what you create. It allows your audience to tune in the same way I know that the newspaper will be in my front yard every morning. I know if I turn on ESPN, there will be something related to sports loosely at this point, but something related to sports on, on the television, right? You, you have that, that, the audience knows what they're getting from you and when that happens. And so what we've worked on over years with our clients at Convince and Convert is, as you mentioned, a, a system where there are three different types of shows, if you will, three different types of episodic, repeatable content that you execute um, that not only allows your audience to understand kind of what you're about in social, but makes it way, way easier for you to create social content because you actually have a plan, right? You're not just sort of firing bullets off in the air, hoping that a bird flies by simultaneously. First type of show is called um, binge-worthy content. So if you think about how so much media is consumed today, it is in a bingeable pattern. Uh, TikTok, ultimate bingeable medium, right? You just sort of log on and all of a sudden an hour goes by. YouTube. Very bingeable. People will watch a video, then they watch another video, watch another video. Netflix, many podcasts are set up the same way. You listen to an episode like that was great. Listen to another episode and then another one. So you can and should create your own binge worthy content in social. Now, that might be a social media specific show, like an interview show that you do on Facebook Live or LinkedIn Live, or maybe it's a weekly uh, video that you do about a trend, any number of things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be weekly. I'm just using that as an example. But it is a piece of content that you're going to put a fair amount of production value into. And you're going to execute it on a regular basis at the same time, on the same day, you know, in the same place. As a matter of course, in, in some circumstances, the content that you're putting in social doesn't reside in social per se, but you're still using social to ask the audience to tune in at the same time on the same day. You mentioned my standing innovation podcast, which is one of the two, actually three podcasts that I'm recording now. Uh, standing innovation. Uh, I've recorded all those shows last fall. So I recorded like 40 shows at once and now we're just dripping them out. But a new show comes out every Monday morning. 
And then on Monday, across all of our social media, we're like, here's the new show, right? And, and it's not like some days it's Monday, and some days it's Wednesday, and some days it's Thursday night. It's every Monday at the same time across the same channel. So people know when the new show comes out. It's just the way to kind of think about, about that episodic content. And that's the first thing you put on your editorial calendar because you're going to do it for the longest time. You're going to do it for 20 weeks in a row or forever in a row. My, my main podcast, Social Pros, we're at episode 436, right? Every week since 2012. So that's the first thing you want to work on is the, 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 the binge-worthy, bingeable content. I love that you also touched upon that you can select a relevant challenge for your audience. And if you do weekly live shows, obviously you would have to show up actually every week. But yes. if you if you want a different rhythm and you're not good at that consistency, then you can pick another format <laughs> where you will still reach your audience because they're everywhere now. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, but it suits also who you are as a content creator. I could not agree more. It's such an astute point. One of the things that I've said in the past is that if you don't love social media, you probably suck at social media. I find very few people are great at it unless they have an actual like personal passion for it. And that goes just as much, if not more, to content marketing and content formats. And what I mean by that is if you don't like taking pictures, maybe you shouldn't make Instagram one of your key platforms. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, maybe you shouldn't start a podcast. If you're deathly afraid of live video, maybe you shouldn't do a live show. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't ever get better or, or, or get to the point where you want to do a format like that. But what I am suggesting is if you're like, you know what? I love doing live video because it's unplanned, it's unscripted, it's unrehearsed, and I get off on that. I think it's interesting and exciting. And that's the thing that you like the most. Do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So what is the thing that you like the most? That probably should be the format that becomes your binge worthy content. Because if you like it the most, two things will happen. One, it'll probably be better. And two, you'll probably keep doing it longer. Yeah. Right. If every time you make this content feels like a chore, you're like, meh, I'm over it. Right. I mean, I used to have a video show. I had a daily uh, video show called Jay Today a few years ago. It was one of the very first ever um, kind of short-form daily video shows that anybody ever made. This is years ago. And I did 200 episodes, 150 or 200 episodes. Uh, every day was three minutes, between three and four minutes. And just sort of a business tip, marketing tip, customer service tip. Some were positive, some were negative, whatever. And it was really popular, um, especially for back then. But I just stopped it. I just pulled the plug. Because it got to the point where it felt like work, right? It was like, man, I've got to go find a topic and record this video again today and then edit it and then get it on YouTube. And it just, it just got to the point where it felt like work. And I could tell it started to affect my performance. I was like, you know what, if this doesn't, if it doesn't feel exciting and interesting, if I'm, if I'm not happy to be here, the audience can see that as well. And so instead of just going on this long decay uh, where I do it less frequently or less well, I'm like, I just stopped and I did a different show. 
that, that I really liked for a long time, right? And then I did a different show and then a different show. I've probably done this idea of binge-worthy content. I've probably done personally, let me think about this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I think nine different shows in the last five years, right? <laughs> shows where I did at least 20 episodes, like 20, like legit, put real money, real time, real effort, real promotional muscle, at least nine different shows. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to sunset it either. Like Talk Triggers, which you mentioned, the Talk Triggers show, I did 20 episodes out, right? I did 20 good episodes. I'm like, that's good. I covered this topic. I don't need to do this forever. Next thing. Yeah, and, and unless you are seriously pivoting your business into a completely different area, your audience would be more or less the same. And they're still binging you. <laughs> when binge watching, right. binge listening, you, they, they will follow along. Well, and, and not only will the audience follow along, but for a lot of this type of binge-worthy content, the, the publication date doesn't really matter. Like, we get tens of thousands of downloads every week uh, on the Social Pros podcast from episodes that were two, three, four, five years ago, right? The back catalog. Same thing with the Talk Trigger show. Same thing with the Jay Today show I mentioned. So even if you created this content six months, 12 months, 24, 36 months ago, people will still find it and, and, and consume it. It's not as if only the thing that you recorded this week is going to be paid attention to. That's not true. I just have that image of a, of a tree in my head now where when you just planted it, it's quite vulnerable also to storms and winds and everything else, to climate change, whatever. But it has, has a root net that is not that extensive. But over time, not only does it grow above uh, the earth, but also the roots are deeper and wider. And even though some are more important for the growth of this tree still, uh, the other still serves a purpose, right? Absolutely. And I would say nowhere does that analogy make more sense than for blogging. Because blogging, you you get this multiplication effect over time with search engine optimization and Google starts to like the site better and you get more inbound links. And we don't need to get into a whole SEO conversation here. But um, there's no question that the longer you keep doing it and the more content you have, generally speaking, the more successful you are. So that idea of a tree and a root network is very, very true. Uh, I think for all forms of content marketing, but the most true for blogging. You know, w when we look every every year at the most popular posts on our site, convincingavert.com, it's always at least half of the posts that are most popular that year were not written that year. Yeah. You know, and we still get posts that, that we get tons of traffic that we originally wrote that post eight years ago, right? We update it every year to make sure the advice is still current and fresh and, and useful. But, but it was a post that we originally hit publish on in 2012 and it's still bringing thousands of people to the site all the time. So you never know. Yeah. So when we have that feeling that we really don't want to write this blog post today, we should think about that. <laughs> For We're sure. I mean, there's a multiplication the effect. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's both sides, right? So yes, people ask me all the time, how much content should you create? And I have the same answer every time. You should create as much content as you can until that content starts to suck. Yeah. That's the actual answer, right? Because 
I love more it. content is better. Yeah. Right. For the root analogy you just mentioned, more content is definitely better as long as people like it. Yeah. And, and those people include Google. So, so that's, that's the, that's the level, right? And you'll know, right? You'll know when people don't like it as much. Could you look at your metrics, whatever your metrics are, views, listens, and whatever downloads, you'll, you'll be able to determine kind of where that tipping point, uh, where that tipping point is. And that's why we think about the three types of social content. The second one I like a lot, which is, uh, we call it special events content. And this is where you do something not, not weekly, but maybe monthly or quarterly. That's kind of the, the, the big, um, the big rollout, right? And this is usually when, when we think of special event content in our world, we think about things that require some sort of registration or login or somebody has to give you data to access it. So things like, uh, an online summit or a webinar, or we're going to, we're going to create a research report, something that people have to give me their email address to access. We tend to do those about once a month in my organization. And that's usually what we advise clients to do if they have the resources to do it uh, and to vary those, right? So one month is this kind of thing. The next month is this other kind of thing. And that's the second thing you put on your editorial calendar. So first thing is your kind of weekly show or whatever your show is. Second thing is, is your kind of special event kind of monthly, you know, chunky content, if you will. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the third one is all the other stuff, right? The third one is what we call news and updates, uh, but it's the regular stuff. It's like, Hey, I wanted you to know I was on this podcast. Hey, I wanted you to know we have this sale on rutabagas. Hey, we wanted you to know that, you know, whatever. It's, it's the other things that fill out your content calendar. And that's the one where people usually get all wrong, right? They, they, they publish a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, or then they don't publish anything for a few days or a week or what have you. So we try and, we try and publish something every day. Um, and we vary what it is. Is it, is it binge worthy content? Is it special events content or is it news and updates? And that's how we kind of put together social media editorial calendars. So what do you recommend in terms of how many channels should uh, a fairly new entrepreneur choose to, to be mm-hmm. present or active? Well, you probably should be at least have an account everywhere just to make sure nobody steals your name or something like that, right? And, and also for customer service purposes, increasingly customers and clients use social to reach out. So you probably should at least be everywhere in terms of having an account. Now, in terms of actively publishing, it's the same answer as before. As many places that you can do it well. Uh, you know, when, when you start to not be able to do it well, you shouldn't do it at all because it's doing you a disservice, not a service. Um, you know, for most people, I think you almost have to do Facebook just because of the overall size of the audience. It's so much bigger than anything else. Um, and it's not even close, right? People say, well, should you do Facebook or Twitter? That's... Twitter's the seventh most popular social network in America. Uh, you know, so so Twitter's audience is so incredibly small compared to Facebook's audience that it's not even really a fair conversation to have. So most people need to be on Facebook just because of the sheer size of the audience. Instagram being now the clear second biggest social network in most cases, you probably ought to be there too. Also, Instagram can be less arduous than other places, depending on how you handle it. Less time necessary, maybe. Um, and then probably a third place, right? So if somebody's like, okay, we're just getting started, I would probably say 
Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn um, for a lot of people, just because that's doing really well too. And you can do some cool things from a content perspective, but it depends on your audience and, and, and the composition of that audience. And ultimately you should be wherever your audience is, right? Where, you know, wherever your customers congregate, that's where you should be. And for each of the channels that I choose to be mm -hmm. present, do I need all three kinds of shows there or do you distribute them over different platforms? Good question. Generally speaking, yes, you would have all three kinds of shows in each platform or each, uh, each network, but you, you would, um, you would execute it differently, right? So if you have a, let's say your binge worthy content is a weekly Facebook live. Well, you're not going to do the Facebook live on LinkedIn. That doesn't work, obviously, but you could take the recorded Facebook Live, cut it down into a four-minute highlight reel, and put that on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. You know, so so you, you want to sort of take the core content, repackage it uh, for each of the channels, and then proceed accordingly. Yeah. Okay. So I know that you have mentioned that the call to action and uh, the purpose of each type of content is different. Mm -hmm. So what yep. is what is the call to action? What should the call to action yeah. have been for if the content be? So binge worthy content. What you want, what you want people to do is consume and subscribe. What you want them to do is is say, yeah, I want to know every time you make more of that thing, whether that's a podcast, a video series, a live, um, a blog post, whatever it is that you want them to to raise their hand, metaphorically or maybe even actually, and say, I, I want to be alerted when more of this exists. That's the goal. This Most is because, people think... This is because, I'm sorry, this is because it's top of the funnel? Right, because it's top of the funnel, right? Yeah. And this is a mistake a lot of people make. They they create content that's top of the funnel, expecting bottom of the funnel results. Tell me more. Well, it, most people don't say, great podcast, can I give you money? <laughs> right. You're skipping a couple steps there. Right. Like, so, so most binge worthy shows, um, podcasts, video series, lives, blogs, even, um, et cetera, are, are not deep enough in the funnel in terms of the subject matter to convince somebody to part with their money. You know, it's, it's really more awareness building and reputation building and thought leadership building. So, you can't go from from reputation to revenue without getting towards what exactly do you sell now and how much does it cost and who have you done it for in the past and what if I don't like it? Like there's a lot of other questions in the middle of the funnel that have to be answered to get people to part with their money. And and so the 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 binge worthy content's a great place to start that relationship. But then a lot of people think that will also help you finish the relationship and it and it won't, right? So you you want Consumption and subscription at that level. The the middle part, your your special events content, what you're really looking for there is information. That's sort of data gathering leads. You're, you're saying, okay, this person now cares enough not only to subscribe to the podcast, but also now wants to download the research report that we promoted on the podcast, potentially. Um, and we've asked a couple of qualifying questions on that form. So now we've got a sense of who they are and what they want. Right. And they care enough about this content to provide that information to us. That is obviously an indication of 
of uh, intent at some level. And, and so that's kind of what that piece is. And then the objectives on the, on the news and events are either direct calls to action. Donuts on sale now. Go get donuts, right? So it really is low funnel conversion messaging, right? Or it's ratification messaging for current customers. You gave us money in the past. We're still awesome. Here's why, right? You're basically preventing churn with what, what you do and say at that level. So it's what, it depends. And usually we vary it. So we say some of the messages needs to be about getting money. Some of the messages need to be about keeping the, mus- the money you already have. Um, and you kind of vary it back and forth. Your uh, book utility is mm-hmm. talking about uh, making usefulness the central winning philosophy for a business. What does that entail? I mean, you're doing it right now. You're not charging people to listen to the show, right? You're giving away value. Why do you do that? Because you believe, and rightfully so, that some of the people who are listening will be able to help you someday. And you are willing to take your own time, your own effort, your own money to produce this content and give it away which makes no sense at all in terms of a short-term accounting. You will lose money recording this podcast. No yeah. question. Yeah. But you will make money recording this podcast eventually. And the key word is eventually. Most people are bad content marketers because they do not have patience or trust. They don't have patience or trust. They won't keep at it long enough to allow the portion of the audience that will reward you economically. They won't keep at it long enough for that portion of the audience to do so. And they don't trust that they will do so. Right? Each year, we have, I don't know what the number is now, I haven't checked lately. It's it's like 2.4 million people or, or whatever a year read my blog. 2.3 million of them cost me money. Literally cost me money. Server costs, design costs, dev costs, team costs, content creation costs. 2.3 million out of 2.4 million cost me money. But there's a fraction of those people who ultimately will make us money somehow, right? They subscribe to our email newsletter where we run ads and promotions. They'll buy a book from me. They'll come see me speak somewhere. And then a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction will end up being consulting clients. We'll sell them a very expensive strategic plan that will blow their minds. But we'll do you know, 2.4 million website visitors a year. Each year, my company will, will deliver approximately 24 strategic plans to companies. So it's 24 out of 2.4 million. Right, which I think if I have my fractions right, it's point oh 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 one percent of my audience. How do they survive uh, short term? In the beginning of this interview, you mentioned that people put random content out there. Um, that sense of urgency. Yeah, I mean there are there are ways to 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 monetize content in the short run, but usually it doesn't work unless it's accompanied by something that works in the long run. 
the reality is this. If you need instantaneous results, you probably shouldn't use content marketing. You should probably use advertising because that's what advertising is better for. Yeah, or plain outreach if it's a, a more premium service that you have to sell. You don't really don't need that many clients to survive for a while while you start building that content base. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's that's why it's wise to, especially if you're an entrepreneur, to start building your helpful content-driven brand while you still have a job, right? Start becoming an expert while somebody else is paying you. And then once you have a measure of expertise, then go do it full-time. That's the better way to do it. Yeah, unless you have a little bit of money in your bank account. Yeah, yeah. But you can also relatively quickly, right? If you really want to commit to doing a bunch of content, think about something like John Lee Dumas, right? John Lee Dumas, one of the most popular entrepreneur podcasters in the world. Um, entrepreneur on Fire is his show. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with it. And, and you know, John just decided to do that. It wasn't like he had some big entrepreneurial success equation in the past. He just said, look, I want to I want to go help people learn how to be better entrepreneurs. And he just said, okay, I'm going to record a daily podcast which means I'm going to record, you know, six or seven podcasts every Monday, spend the rest of the week editing them, and I'm just going to do it. And he did, right? And now he makes millions of dollars a year just on advertising. But you know what part of his solution was? He worked his ass off. Yeah. And, and there is literally zero people on the planet who are good at content marketing who don't work really hard at it. Yeah, you got to practice and you got to... Not easy. No, both the more um, specific skills that goes into that, but also uh, little by little getting to knowing your audience. That's right. So, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first things you do won't be very good, not because you're not any good, but because you don't know what people want. Like, I'm actually working on a new podcast right now. It's not even launched yet. I'm doing it with a corporate partner. And I've recorded um, 10 episodes. And it's hard because the show's not out, right? We haven't launched the show yet, but I already have 10 in the can. And it's it's really challenging because I don't I don't have any feedback. Right? I don't I don't have any audience reaction. And so I I I struggle with how do I make the show better every episode when I don't know what people think of it yet. So it's it's over time you should get better. I look at my first blog post, even my first book, my first speeches. My god, it's terrible. Like ter- embarrassingly, so bad. Um, but hopefully, if you're you know if you're one percent better every time, eventually you'll be good at it. Yeah, I recently listened to some of my first videos. That was about five years. No, it's more six years ago, and I sounded like a robot. It was horrible, <laughs> completely like a robot. I would have done better on Star Wars, I think. <laughs> So before we wrap up, uh, I would love to hear from you these past few months. We're now at the end of July 2020, Mm. and these last few months have been unexpected and nothing that we could ever have imagined, even if we tried, or we wouldn't believe it when we tried. (laughs) Right, right. So. Uh, but now, now we ha- we have this new situation, and uh, it's quite a long time that has passed now with this new situation. It's 
actually for more more like five months now. Yeah. So what are the changes you have seen in digital marketing these past months? Well, I think the biggest issue is that every company is a startup now. It doesn't matter if you've been in business four years or 40 years or 140 years. Your relationships between you and your customers, whomever they are, have to be totally rewired because nobody knows anything about anything anymore. Like things that we never would have even worried about or thought about. Now you have to figure out, I went to get my haircut recently. And, you know, I'm 50 years old. Like I, I know how haircuts work. I thought it wasn't like, you know, I didn't need to check with anybody until this time. Because then I had to figure out, all right, is this place open? Uh, are the hours the same? Is the person who cuts my hair still there? Where do you park? Do the parking meters still require money? Do I just show up or do I text when I get there? Is there a waiting room or do I wait outside? Do I wear a mask? Does she wear a mask? How do I pay now? Contactless? Do they have take Apple Pay? How do I make a new appointment? There's like 12 questions I had to figure out to get my hair cut. And that's true for every business now. People don't know anymore how to work with you. You think they do, but they don't. On my podcast last week was Lori Meacham, who runs um, social media customer service for JetBlue Airlines. And she told me something that completely freaked me out. She said that their SEO team has seen a huge spike in searches for the phrase. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Are airlines still in business? Are airlines still in business? That's quite that fundamental. That is something <laughs> that no person would have typed in in February. Yeah. And now so many people are typing it that their SEO team picked it up as a trend spike. So you've got to rewire everything. And so what that means from a digital marketing standpoint is, number one, you need to have a super good FAQ right now. Literally, if you've not done this, I want you to do it tonight. Get a piece of paper, get a pen, write down all the questions that your customers have of you, starting with, are you still in business? And then build a page on your website that answers all those questions. And then take those questions and push them out over time in social, in your news and events content, and in email so that nobody's ever confused about how to work with you right now that's what's really changed is that information right now is the most important thing that you can do it's not even about do you have good graphics or good ads or whatever it's about do people even know the basics right now you gotta you gotta start there do you see any other well certainly yeah i mean facebook ads instagram ads are are down um, fewer advertisers uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you've got the Facebook boycott at some level, but also um, just people not having the money, right? Or saying, look, I'm just going to keep my powder dry until the economy approves, things like that. A lot of big brands pulling back. So there's definitely been a decline in ads, which is good news for small business because your cost on a per click basis is down in many cases. Your Your mileage may vary, but we're seeing um, you know, a 30% reduction in costs, um, which is nice, right? You, you don't expect ads to be on sale. Um, so that's, that's handy, certainly. Um, and then, of course, you, you have, I think, a little bit right now of email fatigue. 
even more than typical because people are working from home and they're staring at their screens more and they're just sort of getting the, you know, same emails from the same people uh, over and over. And, and so you've got to be a little smarter, I think, about your contact mechanisms. I, I do some work with uh, Podium. There's a company that does a lot of texting and, and uh, messaging software for small business. And it's incredible. 72%, I think is the number of consumers say that they're more interested in texting a business now than they were before the pandemic. So this idea of, hey, let's make it as easy as possible for your customers. If you want to call us, sure. You want to email us, okay. You want to text us, great. You want to hit us up on live chat, fine. Messenger, Instagram, DM, smoke signal, hostage note, like, you know, whatever you want, we're listening. You know, you, you've got to make it really, really easy to, to, to do business with you right now. Because the one thing I know for sure, nobody wants to be hassled. I did a webinar about this last week with a big company um, and this whole idea that like everybody is so up to here, up to their eyeballs with stress and uncertainty and hassle and obstacles. And are these kids going to go back to school? And what are we going to do? The last thing they want to deal with is, oh, I can't text her. You know, you just the customer experience has always been important, but it is so important right now. You, you just cannot be hard to deal with or hard to work with because customers are like, whatever, out on to the next one, you know, yeah. and they won't and they won't come back. It will be interesting in some time to see what we have actually learned from this and what what the real changes are more permanently as well some will be temporary changes but i do think that world has changed it's not gonna it's not gonna be like 2009 no, well and 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 partially because everything's gone digital yeah uh you know this idea that that um digital transformation that would have taken 36 months has taken 36 days yeah. that's absolutely true um you think about online education telemedicine um, contactless payments, you know, um, click to deliver sort of the Uberization of everything. None of that's going back. Like no. I'm never going to have to see my pizza driver face to face again. That's not good. We're not going to go back to that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things I was talking about this recently. There's a lot of things that have happened that would have happened anyway. They just happened way faster. Right. And, and so we were forced to change, not, not an evolution of change and that's scary but also kind of interesting right um because it 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 it's terrible in every way but i will say this everybody listening needs to understand an important thing which is that yes pandemic sucks nobody's pro pandemic however and i mean this sincerely you will never in your entire life have an opportunity like this to build your business and steal market share ever because customers are making all kinds of different decisions about how they spend their money and with whom. So you can either use this as an opportunity to grow, 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 like you will never have this chance again, or you can sit at home and bemoan your fate uh, and try and wait it out. But I think the former is the better option. There's movement. Moving pieces always opens up cracks for new opportunities. <laughs> yep. And there's a lot of that, that's for sure. Yeah. Some cracks are beautiful. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well said. 
Well, thank you so much. I truly enjoyed both meeting you more, uh, more than one minute in the hallway amongst other thousands of yeah. people who want to greet you after you talk, but also having this conversation. Thank you so Sounds much. Sounds a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's a blast. Thank you. Oh, I so much enjoyed talking to Jay. I'm sure you could hear that. And we sure got around a lot of topics. Jay is just one of those people that again and again presents frameworks and models that will make you see things in a different light. My friends, are you going to take a look at how you create your content plan after listening to this? I know for sure that I will adjust a few things. Consider those three types of shows in your content plan. The binge-worthy, the special events, and the news and updates. I do recommend that you go pick up a few of Jay's books as well, and I've put links to some of those in the show notes so that you can easily find them. Thanks for listening today. I truly appreciate you spending your time with me. If you enjoy the show, please help me share it by rating and reviewing the show where you're listening right now. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.